0: absolutely can appreciate um, everybody wanting this team to win as desperately as I do. Um, but I want to make sure it's really clear also, um, you're starting with people who who are desperate to see this team find success. Um, you know, there's going to be a few, who will be a challenge where, where myself, our coaching staff, our players are.
1: Welcome into a special edition of the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling.
2: And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubPuncherUSA.com.
1: Tim, anything going on this week on the show? Anything of note?
2: We have Nashville Soccer Club General Manager Mike Jacobs on the show this week. Extremely excited for it. Uh, We had a great conversation with him.
1: It was good. Yeah, our uh, third time, I believe, having him on in the history of the podcast. Always great to calibrate with him before the season. But of course, Tim, there were also lots of um, open items, open conversations from mm-hmm. last season, from off season, and and it was great to to catch up with him and uh, really hear his side of the story. And as usual, he's he's very thoughtful about it. You know, I don't agree with everything that he said. You probably don't mm-hmm. either. But there's most of it, if not all of it, resonates. Even if we kind yeah. of see a different side of it, I think he is an extremely thoughtful person. And, and Nashville C supporters, I think, will be illuminated by uh, by what they hear today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I I believe he he comes into a tie for the most common guest on on the club and country podcast. And the person that he is tying is somebody that we that we asked him a a pointed question about, which is Dax McCarty and and his departure from Nashville Soccer Club. And um, I'm Spoiler alert, you are not going to get the full and in-depth and every single question answered story. But I think hearing Mike's side of it, you you understand where the club is coming from. And that's something that um, you know, we've talked to Dax a lot as well. And and I think fans will will get at least a little bit better understanding of, of the club's off season build and how all the pieces fit together and why some of the decisions that were made, even ones that
1: aren't popular, had to be made. We asked pointed questions. And in the case of Dax, Mike did not answer the question as directly as we would have liked. And then as you're referencing, he answered the question through other answers indirectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that points to that approach of getting younger. I think, you know, we could talk all day about this. One more point I'll make before we get into a couple of really special announcements. I think that the offseason mandate in 22 heading into 23 was pretty clear, right? Get faster on the flanks. And Yeah. And We've asked Mike, what was the mandate this year? And it was clear, get younger, get deeper, which makes sense, right? I mean, you're talking about a Nashville team that was, on average, three years older than the opponents that it played last year. Yeah. And when you see Dax McCarty go out the door, Fafa Pico go out the door, you're not going to look at them and say, well, they were, you know, used up. No, they they still have legs. They still have the ability to thrive and probably will this year. But you had to get younger legs that can go yeah. 40 games right
2: yeah absolutely and it's not even necessarily just getting younger legs but it's um it, you know if if getting rid of a guy like Dax McCarty allows you the ability to have the budget to get two guys who are younger and not as proven in similar positions that's the sort of depth that you need to be able to get because um, you know, in in like you mentioned, in 2022, you saw that there wasn't enough speed in this club. In 2023, you saw that there wasn't enough depth in this club to play as many games as they played last year. And guess what? They're in CONCACAF Champions League. That's CCL, not CCC. Uh, they're in that competition as well this year. And and we have historically seen clubs that participate in that competition run out of legs by the end of May. <laughs> and I think Nashville SC not only doesn't want to run out of legs by the end of May, but they want to have a chance to not only compete in CONCACAF Champions League, but compete for a, a home playoff match, for example, and compete for League's Cup again this year. Those are things that you can't do unless you have good bodies and
1: really, really plentiful bodies as well. At the end of the interview, come back, and, and I'll tell you one thing I found really thoughtful, one answer I found somewhat unsatisfying, and then you know we can wrap up our thoughts on the Dax McCarty saga. Uh, But first, Tim, ML Rose, of course, the sponsor of the show, tremendous Charlotte Avenue location, 8th Avenue, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, with more on the way, the place to gather for burgers and drinks before a match, especially that 8th Avenue location before heading to Judas Park.
2: Yeah, and man, it is insane how close we are getting to the season already. It has felt, you know, since the day that, that Orlando match, that second Orlando match ended, that we were months and months and months away. And I guess at the time we kind of were, but now it still feels like we're months and months away, but we're about a month away from the season beginning. And that that location is not only going to be the place to watch away matches. If you want to watch the match in the Dominican Republic, ML Rose will, will have a way to get it on for you. But even more importantly, if you want to watch matches at Geodas Park, what you should do is at least 14 minutes and 20 seconds before the match <laughs> kicks off, uh you finish your final beer at ML Rose, which is your final of of uh, X. I will not I will not prescribe to you how many beers you should be having before a match, but give yourself 14 minutes and 20 seconds to walk over to Geodas Park and you'll be ready for, for kickoff. You'll be ready for the for the guitar riff before the match starts if you if you leave about 40 seconds earlier and, and you'll and you'll be uh you'll be in the right frame of mind to enjoy the the uh, the best you can get out of a Nashville SC match.
1: M.L. Rose, the place to go before and after matches. But Tim, for the longest time, when we're talking about having a beer at M.L. Rose, I've had to refrain from giving the free shout of the beer that I almost always have at M.L. Rose. No more. Now we can talk about it. Tim, my house beer is home style. I am a proud drinker of Bearded Iris, and we are proud to welcome them now as a segment sponsor on Club and Country starting this week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we are we are super excited. Uh, not only is is Bearded Iris possibly the the most regarded brewery in Nashville, but they have a great uh, Sylvan Heights location that uh, we're really excited to to share with people because they've been trying to uh, to work with us for a little while to make this happen. And we are so excited
1: to announce that they are a sponsor of the podcast as well. Bearded Iris, two locations where you can go drink their beers. You refer to the Sylvan Heights location. More on that location in just a second. Also, Germantown, uh, Homestyle, a great beer. I find that their wheelhouse for me, at least, are those you know hazy IPAs. Uh, I'm in love with Homestyle and double, and on a hard day, sometimes triple Homestyle. Uh, but there's <laughs> there's much more there, and I think when you go to the tap rooms, you discover that these guys are artists. Uh, for instance, they're actually unveiling a new beer. Friday, Material Monk, a Belgian style of happy hours, Monday through Friday, four to six, $2 off full pours where you can experiment and enjoy. And I've been to that taproom now several times, Damien and his team over there uh, in Sylvan Heights, the best and most important neighborhood uh, off Charlotte. Um, they it's are... j- best BMIN adjacent, we'll say. <laughs> well, okay, that's fine. Across the, literally across the street, still walkable. Uh, they're curious about their guests, about beer. Uh, about trying new things and experimenting. And we want you to join us and experiment with us at that Sylvan Heights location. Uh, We've invited you to Happy Hour this coming Friday, 4.30 p.m. at a, quote, secret location, secret no more. Bearded Iris West on Charlotte, the Sylvan Supply Complex, 4.30 p.m. this Friday, Soccer Happy Hour. If it turns into a pub crawl and we end up across the street at ML Rose, that's cool too. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) If you're looking
2: for it, if you don't know where it is,
1: when you cross the train tracks on Charlotte,
2: yes that is the ones that always make your car's shocks very angry at you. Immediately turn left. As your car is bouncing up and down still, turn left. Do not roll your vehicle over but but go go right in there inside that Sylvan Supply building like you mentioned Wes and um you know check it out. It's we are really excited to have them on board as
1: well. Pro tip there's also a traffic light like 50 yards further. If you want to go to the traffic light and stop bouncing and then turn no, to the parking lot. You, you keep going. That's the way I turn out of there the Charlotte, by the way, it's the easiest way to get, get out. i so excited to partner with bearded Iris. I'm going to uh, raise a glass. We're going to have, by the way, this, the segment's going to be called our tap of the week. Of course. Cause we wouldn't have a segment without a double entendre, the tap of the week being the beer of the week that we'll discuss, uh, that's made by bearded iris but also a touch by a nashville sc or other player that stood out to us in a given week so we'll start that next week as we look at maybe last year or other taps until we're ready to get this i've season. got one
2: i've got one in mind and it's from from longer ago than last year but i've I've already got it working in the dome here
1: is it dax mccarty everybody's everybody's, everybody's no nope, everybody's gonna have to wait they're gonna dax have to gonna wait, wait and find out next All week right. stay tuned uh 4 30 p.m happy hour bearded iris west this friday now Let's go ahead and get to our discussion with Mike Jacobs. Pleased to be joined by a good friend of the show, Mike Jacobs, General manager, Nashville Soccer Club. Needs no introduction, of course. Uh, Mike, thanks for spending time with us. Before we get to the meat of offseason and what's ahead for Nashville SC, got to ask you, who is primed for a better second half of the season, the Blue Devils or the Knicks?
0: Now, I, I look at Tim, I, I feel like uh, it's like a <laughs> drinking game whatever, whenever someone mentions those teams. So, um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll I'll get my water here. (laughs) I think both both those teams are probably positioned pretty well for the stretch of their seasons.
1: Water, sure, that's what it is, Tim. I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Got a water bottle full of vodka over here. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of great topics to to get to today, and and eager to look forward to 2024. Talk about preseason and. And all that, but first do want to look back quickly because I think the topic, Mike, that, that's been discussed this week in the Nashville conversation uh, and last week as well was, was Dax McCarty's departure. You know, he agrees that an offer was made last year, the negotiations took place. He acknowledged on his podcast MLS Journeyman. Of course, this is a business every team's trying to get younger. I think you know he approached it with some grace and respect. And and he also said there are two sides to every story. We've not heard your side, at least not talked about it directly with you. Uh, since his departure, his source of contention is that he felt a best and final offer was never clearly communicated by the club. Again, we want to give you an opportunity to tell you your side of that story. Do you feel like the club was fully transparent with Dax or how would you characterize that back and forth that occurred? Uh,
0: from my perspective, there really is no side of the story. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, like Dax personally, wish him well, uh, him and his family, best of luck in, in this next step in, in in their journey. And, you know, from, from my perspective, I'm really just going to talk about the guys who are currently on roster. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, with Dax and and Fafa uh, departing the the roster, you you guys are getting a lot younger. What is what is kind of your general overview of of what your off season looked like and what your goals were with roster building?
0: The idea of having a younger roster, I, I think, in general, when you see the number of games that we had to play during a course of last season, you know, it really was a tale of two seasons, and it, it's hard to not look at you know, Gary's mentioned a couple of times, you know, the legs of our group, and when you think about a team that was second place in supporter Shield in the Eastern Conference through the first 16, 17 games, uh, you know, um, and kind of crawled to the finish after playing seven games and 28 days in the League's Cup. Uh, I, I just think for us, you know, one, I think having a more youthful group, you know, historically we've been one of the, the uh, older rosters in the league, and I think that's been by design from the standpoint of developing cohesion and continuity. We've had a group of guys we kind of doubled down on, But the reality is it's just not possible to keep the same guys together year after year for any team in any sport. It's not just Nashville. That's just the reality of it. You know, and um, it's not even a business of sport. That's just sport in general. You know, so, I mean, you know, the reality is for our group to continue to evolve and especially with a nucleus of the same players kind of coming back. We've got to have, you know, some more youthful exuberance in the group. So, you know, that was one piece for us. And, you know, the second one also was trying to make sure that we had more options and more diversity in our attack. And we felt by adding someone like Tyler Boyd with with his pedigree and the things that he does well and how well he fits into the things that Gary looks to do on the field for us. We we thought we accomplished both getting a younger on our roster as well as getting a more diverse attack.
1: So let's talk specifically then about about Boyd and Yearwood. I mean, Drew comes in and I think you know, was heralded when he got to New York, showed, you know, moments of brilliance in New York, but maybe didn't have the consistency that he or they would have hoped. What is it about the Nashville system and the fit in Music City that gives you confidence that he'll be able to step up and, and achieve his potential here?
0: Well, one thing that we've really, I think, I think been successful with since we've started our club is being able to identify players, even on other rosters, that we thought maybe, you know, in a different setting would thrive here, whether it's the players we have, the coach we have, the system we have, you know, whether it was early on with guys like Annabelle Godoy or Dave Romney, whether it's more recently with guys like Jacob Schaffberg or Lucas McNaughton, You know, my guess is most in most cases, a lot of those guys were maybe like uh, afterthoughts and transactions when they first came through and and became huge guys in our group. And I mean, look at someone like like Drew, uh, you know, he had a lot of success when he first came to New York. Uh, You know, while he was there, obviously, there was a number of coaching changes and shape and alignment changes. And really up until the last maybe six or eight months, he had been kind of regular in that group. So uh, when you think of the things that maybe our midfield had or didn't have last year, I think primarily the nucleus guys we had, if you looked at the traditional numbers, you might associate positions. Most of those guys were kind of like you know, like true sixes from the standpoint that a lot of what they did was in the, the back third of the field, and a lot of us made more sideways and backwards. I think for us, the feeling was we need to get more progressive and we want to try to do out of midfield. And adding someone who we thought was more like a true box-to-box type player and Drew, someone who could connect and combine with the front four, someone who's already shown not only. In in their career, but specifically in our league, the ability to chip in with goals as well, uh, it was something that we thought was needed in our midfield, and we're really happy to add someone of Drew's caliber. We will not uh, beat the money ball thing to death over this, but the way
2: you kind of described his trajectory in Harrison is is kind of what you talk about a lot, which is a distressed asset that you think is more valuable than it is than it is currently seen as maybe in the in the broader public. Um, how does how does Drew fit into that? And it seems like Tyler is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, where he had an outstanding year in LA, but um, for you know, for whatever reason, you guys are able to make the deal to get in.
0: Yeah, in both cases, you know, they were players that the other club was willing to move on from. Uh, you know, I, I think too often, and, and you know, the truth be told, I think the idea of like like winning the deal sometimes that's made more with the fans, uh, the media. Um, you know, video games from the standpoint of like, you know, you know who wins out for one or the other. It's actually okay when both sides do well, you know. For us, I think you've seen some of these clubs, whether it's Red Bulls with Drew or LA with with Tyler. If we can give them something they're looking for, and we get we want, I'm not really too worried about like what happens up on the other side of the train. You know, for us, as long as we got the guys we like, I'm pretty happy with. And and Tim, to your point, I think we've made a you know we've made a, a living off of, of getting players maybe who. You know, in, in, in lack of better terms, have been undervalued in the place they were, maybe needed a new setting. And, 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 you know, we talked before, and I mentioned about Drew specifically, maybe being somewhere in a different system with a different coach, different teammates, you know, just, just kind of felt like kind of fit what we're looking for. Yeah, I do agree. In Tyler's case, I mean, he's much more high profile from the standpoint that, you know, he was, you know, he was a leading scorer for the Galaxy last year. You know, I mean, I, I can tell you 100%, like he was not a player they were looking to move on from. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think for whatever reason that helped them from a standpoint of being able to create some roster space or cap space, uh, you know, th- you know, th- less worried about what they had to do on their end and more for us. You know, when we talk internally about our scouting, and I'm sure you guys can, can do it on your own. You know, there's some guys you look around the league. Our scouts joke sometimes about when we played on a team and say, well, that guy's Nashville SC player, you know, a <laughs> player and say, well, that guy perfect for Gary. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I have to say when you look at players who play like in a front four, uh, there's not a lot of guys who, who fit better for Gary and for our group than Tyler. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned a trying more diverse and more versatile. When you look at the weapons we now have in our, in our front four, when you look at you know, so much has been relying solely on Honey getting goals or chance creation himself, to now have not only Honey but Sam with a full offseason, full preseason with our team Dad likes to add the likes of someone like Tyler with the the you know, international, the best experience he has. Alone, guys like Jacob and Randall, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the, the front four, the, the options we have available in that group right now, there's no question, I think, that it's it's as diverse as you'll find uh, in the Eastern Conference, if not the league.
2: Yeah, I mean, you say you're not concerned about winning the trade, but I know you're on that NBA trade machine every day looking to, <laughs> looking to get the best players to the Knicks. Um, but um, I want to keep uh, talking about Drew a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked a lot, you and I, and, and you've been on this podcast talking about how you love the variety of roster building mechanisms that are available to clubs in this league. How did you balance the the idea of having three senior DPs versus more U22 spots? And, and how did the decision to use the U22 mechanism on Drew come about? And how is that kind of the one that you chose for this specific player?
0: It's a good shout because the reality is a, a large part of Drew being a part of our team was the fact that he'll occupy a 22 spot this year. Uh, so last year he'll occupy that. So after this year, you know, we'll have a decision to make with Drew about where he where he sits on our roster in regards to the designation. But being able to add, you know, a, a U22 was something that was not only important to us adding a U22, but adding one in midfield going into this year. Uh, the fact that we're able to find one within our league and one that would occupy a domestic status uh, was very very unique. You know, Drew became a, a unicorn of sorts from a roster building standpoint. Be able to add a domestic. U22, it almost doesn't exist in our league. So, you know, that offered us the opportunity to get a player of Drew's caliber while also fitting him in with our current roster and cap. You know, he he
1: jumps in now to a group that faces a problem that I'm sure you're happy to have, which is how do you rotate? How do you balance CC? Sorry, we're calling it CCL spiritually forever. I still call it
0: CCL too. It's okay.
1: Okay, we're in good company. Good. If you endorse it, we can do it too. Perfect. <laughs> but you're balancing CCL. Obviously, Leagues Cup, you saw the dividends that could be reaped if you go deep in that competition. But of course, there's MLS Cup, there's Supporter Shield, so many aspirations. And we even see teams like... Seattle, who win CCL and don't make the playoffs. Is this team ready from a depth perspective to balance all those competitions and try to win all of them? And where there is conflict there, how are you encouraging the technical staff to prioritize and balance those different competitions, knowing you can't play your top 11 every single match?
0: Like history has shown us that teams that participated in what was CCL and now CCC, you know, tends to struggle during a league. And, and your example of, of Seattle, I mean, look, they, they literally, they, they won the tournament and didn't qualify for the playoffs. And, you know, if you're not sure why, you know, look at, you know, during a course of the year, it's not uncommon in a congested uh, fixtures list with MLS and or Leagues Cup to have to play, you know, four games in two weeks or three games in a week and a half. You know, but that usually is later on in the season. You know, to have to do that, you know, and, you know, after maybe six weeks of preseason, I mean, we have to go to Central America to play in the Dominican, come you know, come back and then play Red Bulls a couple of days later. And you know, for those who follow our league so closely, you know about the demands and, and the challenges you know, a team like Red Bulls bring with their unique game model. And to have to play against a team like that while such a short break after traveling and playing in Central America is hard. Uh, the following week, they then host the second leg of the home-and-home and, home, and then a day or two later, travel to play in Denver at altitude against Colorado. You know, with the manager and team that might be like Red Bulls West, you know, so to now have to do that and have to play those kind of games in your first two weeks of your season, you know, it, you know, even guys who historically have been among the league leaders and like distance covered, like Alex Muyle or like Sean Davis, it's just not possible to ask guys to do that, you know, two games in a week every week, and, and especially this early in the season. So there's one thing, you know, you know, history's taught us it's that we have to find a way to be creative with a roster selection and rotation. Uh, you know, something that we talk about a lot, you know, talk about with with Gary, with with our group about, you know, how to find the best way to stretch the guy's legs out. But also, I mean, uh, you know, what we learned last year, having to play seven games in 28 days in League's Cup, you know, th- that was a tremendous benefit for our club, for our city to, to host a game like that, uh, to lose in the 11th round of penalties uh, in a cup final. To me, I think that's as close as you can get to winning a cup without actually winning one. You know, uh, but what I would say is sometimes, and it's 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 cruel, and you know it's uh you know it's, it's you certainly don't want to wish anyone uh, uh struggling or you know you know not having success, but you know sometimes you have to go through that kind of adversity, those kind of challenges before you reach the apex and before you you, you hoist a cup, and you know for us there's one thing we learned from the experience of last summer and how it affected the second half of the season for us. We've got to make sure that with our rotation, it's not just having enough bodies, but it's making sure it's the right combination of players having the right uh, combination of days off, making sure that they're fresh. And, you know, in sports like like basketball, load management is talked about a lot. In sports like baseball, there's reasons why pitchers rotate, you know, five days in between games. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's just, you know, in a sport like ours with the distance these guys cover and the demands they have in a country like ours, that's as vast as it is with travel. Uh, you know, we've got to make sure we're really creative and selective with with who's playing and one.
1: And there are still some roster spots available to to be filled to complete that depth picture and make sure this club is girded for all these competitions. You know, Gary Smith came out and his press conference and said, yes, but if we bring somebody in, there's a decent chance we might see somebody go out the door in exchange. Would you agree with that insinuation? And, and, you know, what what spots are left for you to fill as you look to complete that roster picture this offseason?
0: Yeah, G- Gary and I are aligned as far as like with the plan, with with the roster build. And, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, other than adding some pieces around the edges, you know, to, to add a major piece at this point with, with the roster that's it's really been constructed pretty thoughtfully, you know, it would probably have to be a player going out to create opportunities for someone else. Uh, you know, the reality is, you know, each year we continue to kind of to, to improve the group. But the reality is, you know, other maybe adding a you know a couple of pieces, kind of like I mentioned on the fringes of the group. You know, the, the group you see is probably the group that's going to go into not only the the start of CCC but the first half of the season for sure.
1: Are there other depth positions you're looking to reinforce without naming specific players? Obviously, you're pursuing, but anywhere where you're like, all right, yes, we've got our our starting you know couple of couple of groups here, but. Maybe we need a fifth center back. Maybe we need X, Y, or Z. Anywhere that that you're just telling yourself, all right, if we can get a player here, we we go from feeling great to feeling awesome about this group.
0: Uh look, we're always trying to add pieces, you know, around the group. So I mean, uh, for me to say that there's one spot we're looking for specifically be unfair to the guys we have here now. So I, I feel pretty good with the guys we have. And I think you'll see in the next week or two some other pieces being added to kind of freshen that up as well.
2: Well, so as we look at at kind of maybe continuing to build depth. I I wanted to look actually back at at last year a little bit. I think it was probably the first year that, I mean, fans are never going to be satisfied (laughs) unless the club wins MLS Cup every year. But I think it was the first year that there there was some real um, large-scale dissatisfaction, at least large-scale dissatisfaction that I didn't immediately dismiss out of hand. (laughs) But do you think that's fair, Um, especially as you mentioned um, when we first started here, after the after the League's Cup, the, the team kind of faltering there. Do you think that was it's kind of fair that, that fans look at that and say, hey, man, that's not where we thought this was going after those first 16 games or so?
0: Look, We have a responsibility to perform for our fans. And and I really appreciate the fact that so sort of people care about the success of this team. Uh, you know, I, I want to be a part of a group where people care about our team that much. You know, I, I think uh, sometimes you look at a full spectrum and you think maybe it's not as good as it seems, maybe not as bad as it seems. You know, uh, were we the second best team in MLS through the first half of the season. I, I don't know. You know, did, did we crawl the finish and, you know, struggle kind of to make it to the playoffs? I mean, I, I don't know that either, you know. Uh, but what I can say is that, you know, that we were very uh, unhappy with how things finished. You know, from our expectations internally, uh, it's the same as the fans. You know, uh, we absolutely expect to pursue championships every year. And our goal is a playing, you know, through Thanksgiving, you know, into December, pursuing them MLS Cup. So, you know, our expectation was to finish the season when we started it. And our hope is that, you know, the group we saw the first half of the season is something that we could sustain throughout the whole year this year.
2: I think depth is the theme here, but is that the primary lesson that you take from last season and say, OK, we don't want that to happen again? It's it's about having more use, useful depth. It's about having more rotation. Or, or are there other lessons that you took from the way that last season finished?
0: Well, you know, we, we had to have more variety in how we were going to attack. We had to have more different players to rely on simply than one player. And you saw that not only with how good Honey was the first half of the season, but, you know, with the struggles he had the second half of the year. I mean, you know, we, we can't be a team that is only as good or as bad as one player, you know. So, uh, you know, I think when you saw what, what Sam did in, in a really small sample size, you know, most players who come into a new league, you know, usually struggle. So to have five goals in nine starts or 13 appearances, you know, in all competitions, we've never had a player in our club, you know, you know have a strike rate like that so quickly. Uh, you know, the reason why there's challenges sometimes when new players come into a league, you know, you're playing for uh, a new coach with new teammates, maybe a new culture. You know, uh, uh, you look at someone like Sam, he was, you know, he was, you know, coming into a group and look like, he hit the ground flying in the League's Cup. But he also was living in a hotel and without his family. And, you know, like, uh, you know, th- there's challenges sometimes that are hard to quantify with that. So I think when you see that the the glimpse we saw from Sam, knowing that he's now had a full off-season rest and recover. He has a full preseason with our group. You know, we had our fitness testing the other day, and, you know, he had the, the second best time and, and the fitness test we had. So, you know, he's one of our fittest players as well. So I, I just feel like, uh, you know, you saw what happened for, with Hani from year one to year two. And, you know, without putting pressure on someone like Sam, the reality is that our league, you know, when you had the moniker with the, the two letters like DP next to your name, you know, I, I can try to, to under-promise as much as I want, but the reality is, those expectations are going to be there whether I want to or not. And, you know, we're obviously I want people to look at at each of our guys with uh, understanding, give them time, you know, the expectation to be very high for someone like Sam and, you know, to add someone like like Tyler along with that group. I, I just think that, you know, talk about our goal is absolutely we want to be deeper and we want to make sure that, you know, that, that we can sustain the form we have all year long, not just through the first 16 weeks, but having more versatility in our attack was really, really important to us. And just kind of think we'll be a harder team to game plan for with that.
2: So with Sam, you're you're a big believer in the David Goss theorem. And I know you listen to Extra Time. That's not falling on deaf ears, right?
0: Uh, I have to be honest, yeah, I, I I have never Oof. listened to him.
2: Oh, really? Okay. So his is that, so is David that, Goss, who's one of the hosts, it's the official MLS podcast. He's one of the hosts. Yeah. He believes that that players coming from abroad uh take it a year. And the second year is when you see what sort of player that guy's going to be. It seems like you you believe that with Sam.
0: Uh, I remember telling John Ingram when we you know when we signed Sam, you know, how great this would be for the first you know, to have him for the twenty-four season. And he's like, well, he's going to help us now, though, right? And I was like, yeah, I mean, he can, but you know, I just don't know how much. So you know, like the reality of what Sam gave us, you know, through the first month or two of his arrival was was sublime, you know. But but you know, for, you know, so if that's if that's a theory that's out there in the league. I, mean, I, I think you've probably seen a lot of players who have who have had success in their in their maybe their first full year or their second year. Um, you know, I, I, for sure. I mean, I would think, you know, Sam only show, showed us, uh, you know, a brief glimpse of what he's capable of, but look, you know, we've invested a lot of resources. I don't mean just like money, but I mean, it's like our focus and emphasis on bringing a player like him as our nine and, you know, to have, to have a player come over from from the English Premier League, uh, a player who is so influential in helping them go from the championship in the Premier League. I, I think he's clearly capable of doing what you saw all the time.
1: No reason to list extra time when you got us on your commutes on Tuesday mornings. We're We're both I think quite bullish and and have been on record to be uh, be, to be very bullish about Sam and about his contributions and his tactical fit and, and the way he can play alongside Hani Mukhtar. But, you know, Hani had some challenges toward the end of last year that I don't think a lot of us expected. I mean, could the argument be made that maybe he was distracted a bit by some of the transfer rumors that were surrounding him? And how does Nashville get more out of him and have him effectively team up with Sam this season?
0: I think if you Connie, he would tell you that he was distracted through what happened during the course of the, of the summer. And uh, look, the, the reality is good players are going to command interest from abroad. Uh, for us, it's important to make sure that that everyone sticks to doing the things they do well. And, and if you if we focus on on winning games, the things that you do to, to influence winning, you know, good things will come your way. And that's whether it's a new contract or being sold elsewhere, you know. So for us, I mean, I, I think getting back to who we are was really important. And I think there were a lot of distractions during the summer. Whether it was transfer bids, whether it was having to play League's Cup, you know, whether it was having, you know, the um, the, the spotlight in our country, and the world, shining on, you know, Geodas Park, you know, in a League's Cup final. You know, the reality is there were a lot of things that, you know, that probably um, were different than we had in years past. You couple that with the congested summer with international duty for a lot of our key guys in Gold Cup. Uh, someone like, like Walker Zimmerman who kind of limped to the finish as far as how to deal with injuries. And, you know, Walker's an absolute warrior and and he'd be the last person who would make excuses or say anything about injuries, but, you know, clearly he wasn't a hundred percent and, you know, to have him back to who he he is to have honey back to who he is, you know, uh, along with someone like, you know, like, like Sam now having a a full year of adaptation adaptation and adaptation and adjustment. You know, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about heading into 24 with this group.
1: I know that you have a very thoughtful and data driven group of front office executives. Are you going to players or to Gary with quantitative goals for certain position groups or even certain players in terms of goal scored assists? You know, is that a way that you think or is it more qualitative that, hey, stylistically, if you meet certain, you know, style benchmarks, then the numbers are going to come. How do you approach that with with players in a way that sets clear expectations without necessarily pinning somebody just to a number?
0: Well, I, I would say, you know, for us, I mean, first off, I, I think it's it's a marriage of the two. You know, I, I don't think it's simply just looking at numbers. And I don't think it's simply just the eye test. You know, uh, I'm always really skeptical of anyone who thinks either of those work well in isolation. Uh, also made it really clear also, uh, you know, where, where I offer a lot of suggestions to Gary during the course of the week and during the course of the season. Uh, it's his job to pick the game model, the tactics, to select the players. Uh, you know, I had a, a rival GM once asked me uh, how involved I was in that. And I said, not at all. You know, like, the, you know, that, that that's your manager's job. You got to entrust and empower him to do that for as long as he's the manager of your club. You know, so for me, I mean, you know, there, there's never a time where our manager is, is not going to be, you know, chiefly leading the, the cause about not only how our team is going to play, but what player is best fit into that. So, you know, for me, if I ever, um, you know, don't see something the same way, you know, I might ask Gary why something happens and poses a question, you know, I might give him data to, to think about that, but ultimately that's the manager's job to determine that.
2: Well, so from from Gary's job to your job, uh, you are without your number one deputy yet anymore. Um, How excited are you for Ali McKay that he was able to move up from your assistant GM spot to get the chief so- soccer officer uh, job at D.C. United and maybe build a little bit of a, a Mike Jacobs uh, general manager coaching tree going on here?
0: Uh, Ali's like family. So I'm really excited for him. You know, uh, he's uh, very well deserving and he's somebody uh, look at, uh, uh, you know, I went over to, to Glasgow, Scotland and recruited him years ago to, to come to the United States to, to play for me at the University of Evansville. So, you know, I, I've known Allie for a long time and, you know, I'm really excited to see what he does, um, what his group does there. You know, other than the two times a year that we play DC, I'll be rooting for them and, and want to see them do well. You know, the reality is for our group, you know, really kind of had like three assistants under different titles in, in, in Ali and uh, Chance Myers, who was, uh, was uh, the, um, the director of player personnel. Uh, and then Oliver Miller Farrell, who's been our director of strategy and analytics, you know, uh, you know, all three of those guys have played integral roles in assisting myself and Gary with things we do off the field. Uh, you know, Ali is someone who I think will have great success in DC. And, you know, uh, both Chance and Oliver as well as addition to our staff will keep things running really kind of without even skipping a beat and errand
2: When DC is looking is looking for a, a GM, do they reach out to you and say, Do you have anybody? Do they reach out to you just to kind of vet what Ellie provided to you guys? What what is kind of the the behind-the-scenes picture of of how a general manager search happens when a when a you know a historic club in this league is looking for somebody.
0: A lot of times, uh, you know, clubs will use a search firm to help them with that process. Uh, the contact I had was uh, you know with DC's ownership group, asking initially for permission to speak to Allie. And from our perspective, I was never going to to prevent him from having an opportunity to do that if he wanted to. Uh, and then following that, asking more for feedback for him. You know, it's it's a hard spot to be in because you know you certainly want to help you know, the, you know, the people that are close to you, uh, you know, receive opportunities like that, but you also don't want to see them leave, you know? So for me, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I don't think Ali was looking to leave Nashville as much as getting an opportunity to to go to DC. And, you know, I saw it very similar to the opportunity that I had when I was in Kansas City and the help and support I got people who helped me in that way. And to me, I see it not only as paying it forward, but it's like the right thing to do to, to help people you care about and want to see them move on.
2: From that perspective, do you? I think you alluded to it there, but uh, do you have a succession plan or is it, you know, Chance Chance, and Oliver are, are your guys now? Do you expect to have a, a new assistant GM? Do you expect to reorganize kind of the staff directly below you? What do, what do you plan to do there? Obviously, only to the extent that you're comfortable sharing with us that.
0: You know, what I would say in general in every club, you know. Uh, you know, how it's managed or run is different. You know, for us, the idea of having this division of labor to have different people involved to help with the day-to-day operations, you know, helping whether it's Gary or Jeff Robin, our team administrator, you know, whether it's helping them on day-to-day activities at the club, uh, whether it's helping uh, with managing the salary cap and, you know, roster construction, whether it's helping with scouting. uh, You know, I I don't think it's something that one person can do by themselves. You know, so to me to have that level of support, uh, you know, I always want to have people around me that, that I trust and are capable. And I'm not surprised their clubs are reaching out to members of our group because they've seen the success we've had.
1: Ali is an exception, a positive exception to the rule that you guys have, have set. I think as a club, which is continuity within that front office, and obviously that extends to Gary and and his staff as well. And, and when we look at who has succeeded in Major League Soccer, I think there are a couple things that that jump out. And it's clubs who have a level of continuity with their roster building process and personnel and strong domestic knowledge of this league and its quirks. You guys obviously have both of those. But how do you help manage that continuity in a way that doesn't turn into complacency? Are there philosophies? Are there books that you're having people read? Are there certain approaches that you employ to make sure that when you have a lot of the same people in the building over time, that you're keeping things fresh, remaining curious and challenging the status quo versus going into comfortable ways of working?
0: It's a great question because uh, I, I think you see, especially in the NFL, it's, it's amazing how celebrated uh, like Black Monday is when the season ends. And, you know, I remember the media tell me they thought it was the closest thing we have in our country. It's like promotion and relegation. You know that, like, uh, when a season ends, and you know the 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 firings and mass of coaches, and you know, I I always warn people to be careful about that because you know I really appreciate Wes mentioned the idea of continuity and cohesion. You know, you look in our league and you see the teams that have you know a turnstile of coaches or or staff or players, and you know, I, I think it's hard to sustain success when you're constantly doing that. Now, what you said, I really appreciate also because there has to be a balance. You know, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned before about, you know, you can't still bring the same players back every year. You know, the reality is, uh, you know, being a salary cap league, if you only keep giving the same players you have more money in more years, you know, you can't add to your group. You know, and the reality also is as that group gets older, it's just impossible to kind of in this arms race to kind of stay ahead when players reach certain stages of their career where maybe they get heavy legs or, you know, they, they're not the same player they were 10 years prior. You know, from a staff standpoint, it's important for me to be constantly looking to try to to evaluate the group we have. One thing that's really important we, we talk a lot about is, uh, is embracing conflict. You know, I, I can tell you, I definitely try to challenge all our staff around us. Um, we have 10 different departments uh, on the sporting side of our club. You know, so that's opposed to be the commercial side, the business side of the club. You know, that group, our department heads meet weekly. And I can tell you, I'm sure if you asked any of them, you know, that I challenge them on a regular basis and it's less about, you know, telling them what they're doing is wrong. It's more about trying to challenge why they're doing things and look at the process. You know, we talk a lot about process versus outcome. And I think the reason we've had so much success from an outcome standpoint is because we continue to kind of to try to fine tune and kind of maybe sharpen the, you know, the, the point of the spear when it comes to things like process. Uh, you know, we're continually trying to evolve and whether it's, you know, trying to ramp our academy up. Getting our second team, which is now in year two, uh, you know, to be able to kind of produce players for us, you know, we've got to continue to keep getting better, and and sometimes that's in improving the process, sometimes that's integrating new staff or players, but for us, you know, we we have to continue to evolve in in this arms race to make sure we can still kind of compete the level we've been able to do so.
1: I'm enjoying getting beneath the surface a little bit and talking a bit about process rather than just outcomes because I think supporters and, and even we in media so often see the outcomes. We don't always understand what's gone in to those. What's the biggest misconception that you think supporters have or maybe even that Tim and I have about your job, about the processes that you guys are employing? Uh, take a chance here. Set the record straight on on something that you wish supporters understood about your role or about this club just a little bit better.
0: Well, Tay, from my standpoint, I, I always try to, to be careful about trying to stay in the shadows. And, you know, I always talk to our staff about when, you know, the analogy almost like a Broadway show that when match kicks off, it's like the lights come on and the curtain goes back. It's really about 11 players in the field and the manager, you know? So for me, I, I'm quite confident or comfortable, you know, like operating in the shadows and kind of off stage. You know, to me, I think it's about making sure the players and staff have what they need to be successful. And I, you know, I, I tell staff all the time, if we would MLS Cup, everyone in our club is the very best what they do. You know, so if you want to be like the best athletic trainer or best equipped manager, just help us win a MLS Cup. You know, so I, th- I think I think it's that simple and and not that winning a MLS Cup is that simple, but as far as w- where your focus is. So for me, I mean, I you know, I, I'm I'm really kind of uh, um, laser focused on the idea of how we can help our team win. And I shouldn't really care too much about anything else other than that. You know, I'm not looking for any additional accolades. I'm not looking for any other attention. It's the reason why I kind of try to dip it in, dip out sometimes, even when I see you guys before or after a game, you know, like I'm just generally interested in that. You know, uh, um, you know, from a process standpoint, you know, what I could tell fans is, uh, you know, having coached for so long in college, you know, in what was the US you know, uh, what, what's so different about coaching from the job I have now is, you know, when you're a coach, you're very short term in your thought process. I have to win this weekend. You know, I have to win this week and keep my job. You know, for me, I have to think not only about this week and next game, but next month, the rest of this year at five years time. You know, so you have to be strategic, and you mentioned about process. You know, we have to make sure that you know I, I use the phrase a lot about sustaining success. You know, uh, you know the idea of us being able to to be in the playoffs. Uh, you know, uh, Ozzie Newsom used to be the, the general manager that the my Ravens. I'm not quite sure what Roley has now, but you know he once referred to like the NFL playoffs as like the tournament. You know, kind of like the NCAA tournament. where one of the only countries in the world that actually has tournaments. You know, usually it's just you know your, your regular season ends, and whoever's most points is your winner. That's our Supporters Shield. It's why so many players from other leagues, you know, they don't understand. when You know, finish the season, you get the supporter shield, and now you got to keep playing other games. You know, uh, but you know, the reality is for us, if we can make sure we're always above the line, you know, then we're always in the tournament. At some point, love averages. I mean, you know, you go from a one in fourteen odds, one in fifteen odds of, of winning MLS Cup to now one in seven odds. You know, so for us, if we keep getting in the playoffs every year, keep getting in the tournament every year, at some point we're going to get there. You know, uh, uh, when you get to one-off games in a playoff, it's a flip of a coin. And, you know, I think what's frustrating sometimes and and I, where I, I totally appreciate as a fan, because the same thing as a coach or as a general manager, you know, uh, you know, it's it's easy to get frustrated by something going wrong in one game. But, you know, when you play a playoff game, it literally is like a flip of a coin, like a Russian roulette type situation. And, you know, you think about us being in the playoffs in Philadelphia in 21, uh, you know, we're up one nothing. There's a handball in the box that isn't called, you know, during the game, Howard Webb texted me and said, man, we you know, we missed that one. You know, uh, uh, super frustrating to hear something like that, but, you know, depending on, and penalties weren't too kind to us that day, but, you know, you get the right guy taking a penalty, you know, one, nothing now turns to two, nothing, you know, uh, uh, there's two minutes of injury time flashed up at halftime, uh, on the third minute of injury time, Philly scores tie the game up, you know, those kind of things you can't control. You know, uh, those are things that like, you know, you can't control the weather, can't control a bad call sometimes. And when you're in a playoff game or, you know, one off game, you know, one one situation that sometimes you have no control over can affect the outcome. Uh, Philly beats us in penalties. Uh, the, the, two days later, 11 of their players get COVID. You know, that the best team in the Eastern Conference essentially has to play the Eastern Conference final against NYCFC, essentially with a second team. You know, uh, and no one did anything wrong. There's no one person who was at fault. It just kind of happens sometimes. You know, so, you know, for us, the hope is that we can create our process and make sure that, that we can come kind of do the right things week after week Sometimes, you know, it's frustrating after a loss to think, you know, like, even though we lost, you know, we gained something out of it. If we can keep moving forward to a situation where we're competitive toward the end of the year, to me, that's where I think that we're doing our job. And I think my responsibility is to keep making sure that the coaches and players have everything they need to be successful to be able to do that.
2: You mentioned the long term, the process and all those sorts of things. You also alluded there uh, a couple of questions back to, to Huntsville and the academy. How do you see those coming along? Are they meeting your expectations? Are they exceeding your expectations? Um, and how do you see them contributing to the to the future of this club going forward?
0: Look, no, knowing that, that uh, in my mind, you know, it's, it's always about winning cups, you know, I'm never gonna be happy in, in, until we have that. So, you know, am I, am I happy with where we are right now with producing, producing first team players with Huntsville and the academy? No, but it's also, it's very early on in the process for both of those. You know, the reality is, you know, Uh, our territory, the state of Tennessee and and specifically middle Tennessee or Nashville historically has not been very fertile for developing players in the same way that, you know, Southern California, uh, North Texas, Eastern New York has, but for us, we just have to be more creative in trying to uh, be, you know, strategic in our recruitment of players in different areas as the territories have loosened a little bit uh, in our development of players. You know, recently you've seen players, you know, uh, from our county represent the U.S. youth national teams. And I think what's really exciting is a, a number of those players have been players from Nashville. You know, so I think you're seeing us, you know the the ability to, to grow and develop players in Nashville has gotten better. I think in Huntsville, the most important thing this past year was really just kind of getting it up and running, you know, starting it. Uh, you know there are some challenges from the standpoint of of being the only MLS team that has its second team ninety minutes away. you know, uh, so maybe it's hard to get players in front of Gary or in training as often as we'd like. But the reality is you know in year two for us, that group's got to look more like our first team, uh, whether it's uh, game model, well, it's a caliber of players that are there. But there's no question, it's, it's like any other team in our league, and quite frankly, any team in the, in the world, for that matter, I mean, our future foundation is going to be set in our ability to be able to develop young players to come through.
1: Last question for you, Mike. How do you define success for this club in 2024, outside of the obvious aspiration everybody has to take home some silverware? You know, if, if you could complete this in its I'll be happy at the end of the year, if what?
0: If when we come out of whenever CCL or CCC finishes, and we still have the ability to compete and perform in, in the league and in the playoffs, I'm probably pretty happy.
1: Awesome. Anything else that you want us to, to leave this conversation with? We got about, you know, 90 seconds left here. Anything else that you want to make sure we know or anything we missed in our conversation today?
0: Look, you know, uh, uh, to me, I was a, as a radio show or a podcast, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I actually got off all social media, you know, so uh, I, I don't have a Twitter anymore, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know my, my kids will forward stuff to me sometimes friends will forward stuff to me sometimes uh you know uh, what i would say is I, I absolutely can appreciate um everybody wanting this team to win as desperately as i do um, but i want to make sure it's really clear also um if you're starting with people who who are desperate to see this team find success um you know there's gonna be few'll we'll be able to challenge where, where myself our coaching staff our players are uh, we think this group's capable. We think we have the things that we need and, and, you know, there's some great tests ahead of us. We think there are competitions we're going to have this year. And I think, uh, you know, it's without being silly and talking about only the strong surviving, you know, I, I think if, if we have the ability to kind of, to, to navigate these waters, maybe a little better than we had last year, I think there's good things in the rainbow for this group.
1: Mike, thank you for once again, being generous with your time and insight, uh, safe travels back and forth to preseason uh, camp and, uh, best of luck for a strong start to the season and all competitions. Thanks guys. Yep, thanks, Mike. Tim, there's a lot to unpack there and we won't go through every answer and talk about everything because we want our audience to, to unpack it a little bit with us. So tweet at us. Tell us what you thought at Club Country USA at West Bowling TM. What were your broad takeaways, Tim, from the discussion with Mike?
2: Yeah, obviously we know Mike really well. And, and quite frankly, he knows us really well. It's it's not it's not necessarily like a boxing match where we're dodging each other because Mike is, is very honest with us and, and we are very respectful and, and know what he is not going to be willing to answer. And I, I applaud you for asking him a question uh, about Dax, pretty a, a fairly pointed question, even though we knew he was going to have to kind of decline to give a, a meaningful answer necessarily to that. But um, I, th- I think what we learned from Mike is that um he's gone from wanting nashville sc to kind of be a project where he gets to play around and figure out some money ball answers to some questions and and he's still doing that but now it's about saying okay how how do we use these money ball answers to to do the maximum for this club not just for this upcoming year which has kind of been the mandate for the first four years of this club but but for the future, how do we turn this into a long-term project? And there's no disrespect to guys like Dax McCarty or Fafa Pico or or some of the other guys who have departed this club. But at this stage, it's about, okay, we can't just be the most experienced club in Major League Soccer and say this will get us through this year. It's about
1: building for the future as well. And that was the thing that I found interesting. I mentioned I would discuss something I found thoughtful, something I found a little unsatisfying, and then weigh in on the Dax deal. But that was the, the thing I thought was, I thought was thoughtful, that's redundant, was <laughs> his discussion of that continuum between continuity and stagnancy. You know, mm-hmm. Ali Mackay is off to a deserved position at DC United, which proves, I would say, at least if Ali does well, it should prove that Mike Jacobs can help develop leaders in this sport and, and strong front office members that can go ascend. To me, that points to what Mike said in his answer, which is that he's always challenging, always asking why while also allowing people like Gary, Ali, or you know Chance or others to have some autonomy in their roles and some sense of ownership. And to me, that's the hardest element of leadership in general is yeah. the, the balance between control and trust. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, sure Mike doesn't always get that right because no leader gets it right every single time. But I found it interesting that the idea that, that it's harder to be complacent when you're letting your people generate for you rather than dictating down from the top. And it seems that this consensus based environment that Mike has developed leads to challenging each other without regard to the direction on the org chart. And mm-hmm. while that doesn't always pay off with ideal personnel decisions, I mean, do I believe Gary Smith was consulted on Ake Loba? Yeah, I do. Uh, was he really the ideal Gary Smith player? No. Um, I think it works more often than not. And it can point to continuity being more of a plus than a detriment for Nashville SC.
2: Yeah. And that's, uh, it, you always have to balance both of those factors as well, right? You, you know what you believe to be right, but you also do have to go and and trust the other people in your organization. It's, uh, you know, we're adults. It's something that you kind of have to learn as an adult to kind of disconnect and say, these other people have, the positions that they have for reasons they have expertise that I should trust in. And that's something that I don't, I I don't want to, you know, kind of imply that Mike ever didn't get that. But I do think that when you look at how this club has changed over the past two or three years, it's something that he's embracing as much
1: as he ever has. And um, I I think in the long run, it'll really help for the club. And one thing I'll say, I mean, I'll go back to what I found to be somewhat, um, unsatisfying and it was one of his last answers and you know mm-hmm. behind the curtain we only had about three minutes left with him at the end of this particular answer and so I I couldn't push a needle like I wanted to but you know he, we asked him about the misconceptions of uh, pe- people have about his role and it was a pretty long answer but he got back again to this idea that if Nashville's above the playoff line it really is a crapshoot in the quote-unquote tournament I think that's a line that Nashville SC supporters are pretty through hearing when yeah. they see a club, not that Nashville's ever going to be LAFC, but even a Cincinnati or a Philadelphia, you know, stock up with the kind of strength and depth to overwhelmingly ab- be above that line. Because we know of course that if you finish seventh or eighth, it's not a crap shoot from there. Sure. The eight could beat the one, but your odds aren't great of it, especially as, as top heavy as the best teams yeah. in this league have become. So I, I just, I find that answer mm-hmm. to, be I mean, if you play bad. St. Louis though, uh, I mean, <laughs> Perry, or Austin the year before, one of the, the pet team every year that you call overrated and it turns out to be that way. <laughs> I, I find that answer to be a little bit lacking. And I think that maybe Mike and his part of parts, maybe has a different answer for us if his payroll is allowed to be top five in the league. Uh, maybe that's the best Nashville can muster with the money that it has right now. I just I feel like that answer needs to evolve a bit it was a great answer in years one, two, and three. Hey, make the playoffs and see what happens. Nashville's not a scrappy upstart anymore. And I think as it seeks to establish itself in this league, it needs to get beyond crapshoot territory.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you from kind of the perspective of, of, from the exterior, what you see as the results, because the results are what really kind of comes together and and are the visible outcomes of of the processes. I think... Mike is genuine when he says that and in that he believes that the processes should be good enough. I think if you if you could drill down to his heart of hearts, like you say, I think he would say, I believe I can put together a team that is, you know, a top one or two seed. And then we have an even better chance in the crapshoot. But when you get to the end of the first uh, signing window, when you get to the end of the second signing window, That's when his job ends and he has to trust the personnel that he's put together, both in terms of signing players and in terms of of the technical staff and say, I I believe I've done good enough to finish first in the conference, um, but if they don't finish first in the conference and I say that it's a failure. If they finish eighth and they get into the playoffs,
1: um,
2: you know, I've, I've done my job and, and yeah. you know, there's, there's a balance that he has to walk there in terms of, of not, you know, putting his guys on the line and saying you're a failure if you don't finish first, or you're a failure, you're a failure because you've only gotten eighth. You know, there's, there's a certain element of, of coach speak, so to say that, yeah, that sure. really kind of has to go into that, that statement. But I, I, I think, the, the core of it is something that he believes in. It's just a matter of exactly how precise you want to get to what the yeah. goals are in terms of making it into that crapshoot
1: tournament. I would call it sincere. And of course, we have seen crazy parity in this league. We've seen sevens beat twos and eight beats one beat one. So I'm, not, yeah, I'm certainly not saying that he's giving us a bill of goods on that um, at all. And heck we've seen him put together a team that should have been second place and would have been in most of the leagues in the world. Third by virtue of tiebreaker, which maybe changes their fate going to Philadelphia instead of hosting. And that's in year two. So the the capability is certainly there with this front office. I think with all that we've heard and and maybe with things we've disagreed with over the years, by and large, I think supporters need to continue to be giving this front office more credit than blame. Uh, That is to say A balanced perspective is always good. And, uh, you know, don't trust them just because they're smart. Don't condemn them just because they lost. Um, With that, my thoughts on the Dax McCarty saga, of course, had to ask the question of Mike, expected him (laughs) to take the gracious way out or maybe the easy way out. Maybe Mm -hmm. those are one and the same. Uh, What we know is this. We know from both parties that an offer was extended to Dax McCarty at some point in the middle of last year. Uh, we know, of course, that in the end, he is no longer with Nashville SC in spite of that. And those are the bookends of what we know. <laughs> Dax mm-hmm. claims that there was not a clear and final offer communicated to him. Mike is silent on that point, and that's fine. What I think we can read is that Nashville would have been just fine with Dax McCarty continuing with this club under narrow enough conditions that they didn't right, yeah. bring in by the salary cap, and perhaps they still felt the ability to then bring in a Drew Yearwood type of player. They could have brought in Yearwood. In theory, at least, while keeping Dax on the roster, using the mechanism they used for this year. And then they would have had to reevaluate after that, you know, under 22 DP status expires. So I think when it came down to it, the the performances were lacking enough from the team and not necessarily always from Dax, honestly, but from the team that I think Dax was a casualty to the desire to get younger, even if he could have had a productive remaining year whether or not there was a clear and final offer clearly communicated i have no reason to believe that either person is making things up here and i believe Dax says that he didn't feel communicated with nashville Is he's not under the prerogative prerogative necessarily to clearly communicate with him if they think that telling him in august hey you're not in our plans next year is going to result in even a subconscious lack of motivation from dax I don't think Dax is the type that's going to say going to mail it in. Yeah, but I can understand the hesitancy to to make that that clear claim. Even as I wish there had been better transparency,
2: I think both parties would probably have been very happy to have Dax McCarty remain at Nashville SC and and remain at Nashville SC to the end of his career. Which, um, you know, he's younger than us, as I always say. So we can so we can say it might not be too far off. But I think. What what the most important part of what you mentioned there is that there were narrow conditions that under which uh, it would make sense for Nashville SC for Dax to continue, and those might not have been the conditions that Dax uh, you know was comfortable with continuing under. And if if Nashville SC had that impression that it wasn't necessarily a one hundred percent fit in terms of the terms of the contract, I, I as I as I say it's it's not show friends it's show business,
1: and unfortunately that's that's what happens. And while every GM should be able to do more than one thing at a time, and and Mike Jacobs certainly is able to, at some point you've got to be looking at your succession plan um, mm-hmm. and, and what's coming next. And those discussions with Drew Yearwood maybe went on a lot longer um, than than we know, and and maybe that was always option B. That at some point just needed to just become option A. Um, these things don't happen in a vacuum. Certainly, um, anything else that you want to draw from this conversation before we give one final tease for uh, ML Rose and Bearded Iris? No, I, uh, I think, you know,
2: again, we've talked to Mike as much as we've talked to anybody officially, you know, on this podcast, and um, he's always going to be as honest with us as as he's comfortable being and I I feel like he's as honest with us as uh, certainly, I feel like he's more honest with us than he is with a lot of people when he talks in a press conference situation, for example, but uh we were really appreciative of that. And I think that the the perspective that that he's able to provide us and and you know, the perspective that you and I have just uh, given to what to what he was able to say publicly and how we kind of can interpret that um, hopefully gives fans the the full picture of what we believe and what I think is probably most accurate to what what is
1: going on behind the scenes at Nashville's Highre Club. Yeah, thanks to Mike for joining us. Thanks to the club for uh, for providing him. Uh, and uh, guys, I think the, the best part of this show is not the interviews with, with club representatives or those around MLS or Alexi Lawless randomly on one of our first it, episodes. Seeing your beautiful face, Wes. <laughs> I, I knew I should have worn my hat today. Um, <laughs> I got the the Florida humidity here going on. It's real, real handsome. Um, the best part is the community that we've built. The, the challenge is that by virtue of covering the team... And our travel schedules, Tim and I are usually not able to enjoy the sponsored locations with you. I will be there, though, at Bearded Iris and then likely ML Rose after that for pub crawl again Friday, 4.30 p.m. Hey, it lasts as long as it lasts. I'm already going to tell you I'm Ubering over there so I can do it responsibly, whether that's one drink, whether that's a lot more than that. And I'm going to go toward the um, X plus Y uh, in your formula earlier, which is going to be beer <laughs> plus burgers. <laughs> um, in a lot of both, possibly. So looking forward to seeing you guys there. Again, Bearded Iris, the uh, Sylvan Heights location in the Sylvan Supply area. They're launching a new beer the same day. They've got happy hour deals from four to six. So we've got you covered. And you can ask me anything when we're there. We can have a, some in-depth conversation about soccer, life, football, beer, uh, and then, of course, burgers And we wander over to ML Rose. So hope you'll join us. Again, 4.30, you can look out for reminders from us throughout the week on social media. Tim, anything else you want to leave us with? No, I just want to give our, our most heartfelt thanks to to not only Bearded Iris, but
2: very much to Bearded Iris, but also to ML Rose. Uh, without both of these companies, this wouldn't be happening. Um, we're very happy to have them sponsor us. Uh, we are very happy that all
1: of you are going, to, are going to pay off their faith in us by showing up to Bearded Iris at 4.30 on Friday. Cannot wait. I've spent the better part of the month out of town and everywhere I go, I try to approximate the quality of a place like ML Rose. I've still not found a restaurant like it. And I try to find a beer that resembles homestyle. Uh, a few have tried to come close. None have reached the glory that is the uh, the beautiful, beautiful homestyle orange, uh, which is close to the sea orange, by the way. We'll have to revisit that in, a, in another show. Uh, thanks to Bearded Iris. Thanks to ML Rose. See you guys Friday at 4.30. And if you can't get there until 5.30, that's cool. We'll be there We're in no hurry. Um, looking forward to it. Brayden Gall might even come. And if that doesn't scare you away, Uh, then uh, nothing will. Thanks to 440 Sports (laughs) for the platform. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. And thanks again to Mike Jacobs for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon.